Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know podcast, Father Michael Lachlan. Yo, yo, Father Nathan. On a beautiful Tuesday evening. It is. I love this weather. Fall evening, so I'm trying to talk while I'm scrolling through my books. So I can make topic right I tell you what, that, that drive down exposition or Bonnie Bray Drive to your house from university yeah. is a million dollar drive. Oh, the yeah. the trees, yeah. like whoever whoever planned all those different trees, yeah. they're just so incredible. This whole, this whole neighborhood is amazing. Like I I will walk around it. I I need that I need that one transition into the fall. Like I don't want it to catch me off guard. So since I've been traveling so much, I just need like even 10 minutes to walk around and just like say, okay, it's human to appreciate the seasons. <laughs> like it's human to say that, like fall has come and I'm appreciating nature. And like, I will get caught up in my ministry and caught up in my world. I won't even notice. Like right. all of a sudden I'll walk out one day in like, you know, in my clerics and it's like way too cold. I'm like, oh, I guess it's time for a jacket. You know, I like, I, I just, I'm just, I become jacket very, weather. <laughs> it's sweater weather. Like I, I get very, I'm just very unaware, kind of caught up in my own little world. So I, I, I like that. I, you know, I'm going to walk around the block once. That's all I really need as a human being. I'm going to walk around the block once and say, look how pretty the, the leaves are. Like, look, fall happened. And now I'm going to as be human rather than just some ministry robot. I'm going to be human and I'm going to look at the world and say how beautiful it is, acknowledge that, thank God for it, and then get off my life. Yeah. I was in Phoenix all next week. Nothing changes in Phoenix. True. <laughs> so it's nice to be back in Denver. I mean, some people just mark the seasons by whether or not it's pumpkin spice latte weather. Yeah. Well, you know? Exactly. Which, which are delicious. Or uh, pumpkin spice or uh, or what's it, the uh, beer? Oh, yeah. Oktoberfest? Oktoberfest beer, every, yeah. Every yeah. place, man. Yeah. That that I like, but there's the pumpkin beer too one that I'm not a big fan of. No, pumpkin beer is not Oktoberfest. Oktoberfest no. is like, what is it, Marzen? M-A-R-Z-E-N with an umlaut over the A. You know more about this than I do. Than I, oh, I'm man. Aware. They are so good. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I love? I just bought a six-pack. I watched the uh, the Broncos slaughter the Houston Texans you did? last night. I did. I, I never get to watch the game. Where did so. you watch it? Anthonette Golish's house. Nice. Yeah. It was, it was, we went over there and, and watched it. And like, it was wonderful and her family. Because I never get to watch the game, and I, yeah, when, once I had the outreach, so I now I have the outreach in Fort Collins. We have divine energy at three o'clock p.m. and I when I when I was in school in Pittsburgh in seminary, I watched the Steelers every Sunday. When I first got ordained, I watched the Broncos every Sunday, and then all of a sudden, I create this outreach. Of course, my fault, but uh, you know, you have kids it, priorities. Yeah. You have kids, <laughs> and uh, and I never get to watch it anymore. So I got to sit and watch literally the game from kickoff to final kneel down and I was like this is awesome. Yeah. And I sat there in my in my uh, uh Demarius Thomas jersey <laughs> with the <laughs> Super Bowl 50 logo on the shoulder I that didn't the, know you had the Grondins one. gave me. Oh yeah. So I have these parishioners, the Grondins in my parish. Yeah. They are diehard Patriots fans. I mean Diehard oh. Patriots oh. fans, I know. So, so last season I had this Wes Welker jersey that a parishioner gave me, and he told me, um, he says, I, "This was like what three years ago when when Peyton Manning was having the, just the season of his career. Right, right. Wes Welker was having the season of his career, and and I bought this. What Prishner said, I'm going to give you a hundred bucks to buy an authentic NFL Broncos jersey as long as you promise to wear it under your vestments every Sunday." <laughs> Every, oh my gosh, it's so hot! I know. Well, it, and I was like, uh, absolutely. Like, I nobody will know it'll see it. I always wear it on, on Sundays anyway. After after the liturgy is over, I wear my jersey. But I like I wore it underneath. And then of course, Wes Welker left the Broncos, and so I was wearing this Wel- Wes Welker jersey for the next year and the year that he even left and stuff like that. So this this as soon as the Patriots were out of the playoffs last year, right. the family was like. I guess we're, we'll acknowledge that the Broncos are better than us this season, and and which 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 Super Bowl jersey after Super Bowl's over, which Super Bowl jersey do you want? And I was like, Demarius Thomas. He was a stud yeah, last he night. Was, he was, yeah. Last, what two, three? Except touchdowns? I got to say, there on that long pass to Emmanuel Sanders. Yes, he didn't finish his block, or Emmanuel Sanders would have walked into the end zone. Right, and Emmanuel Sanders yeah. kind of gave him this look, like, dude, he knew it. He like, knew, yeah. finish your block, yeah, because like it just looked like like Demarius Thomas just kind of like halved it, 
Right. You know? And right. then all of a sudden it was like, yeah. dude, I could have made it. I watched it too. It was, I, I wasn't feeling that well last night. Um, and uh, I think part of it's just the change in the seasons, yeah. but also I've just been behind on sleep. So I've been pounding orange juice and water and bagels just uh. to tick off, uh, you know, uh, Chris Lebsock. <laughs> I didn't know that was a thing. No, I don't. Okay. I don't. He just, he hates orange juice and bagels. He uh. thinks it's the cause of obesity, um, which, you know, it's not. It's actually Sour Patch Kids and Taco right. Bell. Um, but, uh, but no, I was able to watch it. Oh, man, it was so good. Yeah. So, so good. It was, and, you know, honestly, I like, I like seeing football players that get paid millions of dollars. I like them be show each other tough love i like the the accountability because it's like we as priests we don't i as i've told you guys before this is one of my biggest frustrations with 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 my reading of our rule is that it's not it's not hard enough like we we we, not not like it's not hard enough like it's not it's not hard enough to live this life but we we don't say you know what let's once a month let's once a month have the airing of grievances true in a way that that we like we 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 do we do graces we do we build each other up for our birthdays and anniversaries we do all this stuff that's kind of over the top we love each other yeah we don't often enough say like dude you've been bringing up the same issue for the past three fraternal groups true man up get it together and I, that but that's just my personality like i need someone to tell me nice quit your whining i wish we could throw like taunting flags you know <laughs> But like the taunting <laughs> yeah. is worth it, you know. Like just to get the flag, right? Right. It, well, see, that's the thing when you, when you when you see two full players go off on each other, like like what the heck? Like you're supposed to block that guy, and the other guy's like, totally my bad. Yeah, I'm exactly. sorry. Like like we don't. Uh, I don't think we in society like football is so you get paid so much and it's so popular it's in everybody's face that you have to understand for business reasons we're going to hold each other this accountable true we should do that in the ministry we really should actually you know going back to Demarius thomas when he caught that pass on that uh out out of bounds and he you know tiptoed out of bounds and then the guy hit him after he was blatantly out of bounds he kind of looked at the guy was like dude Come on, man. Yeah. Like, you got to be better than that. Right, right. I loved it. There was a great Aqib Tlaib. Somebody put on social media, like, a bunch of, they had his helmet mic'd. And it was so funny, like, how often he, after a play, he'll go up to the opposite team. He's probably taunting them, but he'll, he'll like, explain the basics of football to them. <laughs> he, he just, like, he's like, you know you don't do that. You, you know you're not supposed to do that. Like, you know you didn't block me, or you know you, you like, and he'll, he'll, like almost like coach them the other team which i'm sure he does it just to annoy them but but exactly. it, it, it is it is so funny to kind of see like what if we had in our community of priests or even in the community of christians what if we in our community of christians were, knew that we loved each other so much that f- correction was always fraternal correction we didn't get offended by it because we knew there, there was this foundation of of affirmation and love that you could tell me anything i feel that's how the companions are you could tell me anything uh, my, my perspective, you, Father Nathan, could tell me anything. You'd yeah. be like, dude, you, you are a mess. You are an absolute mess. Uh-huh. Get it together. And I, w- I would take that in the best way possible. I really think I would because of the foundation we've laid for community. Sure. But we, we need to do that more within the context of the Christian life. Amen. Uh, Shout outs. That wasn't written down. <laughs> that was not a written down part of the podcast. That's great. <laughs> anyway. All right. So, uh, so my subject today... Um, I just finished Gates of Fire by Stephen Pressfield. Gates of Fire. And I now have one of a, a new top five favorite book. Um, this book, Gates of Fire, I, I imagine, I don't know this for sure, but I imagine that this was the book that inspired the movie 300. Mm-hmm. Because it is, it, it's, it's, it's about Thermopylae. It's about the 300 Spartans. I'm pretty much, um, I, I learned about this because I was driving cross country from, uh, what, two, three weeks ago driving cross country from New Jersey to Denver. And anyway, I stopped in Cleveland and saw the beautiful women at Christ the Bridegroom one night. The next night, the next day I drove down from Cleveland to St. Louis. And uh, I stayed with my buddy, Ricky Soldini, um, who's married to the Leodero. And, uh, to Leah Soldini. To Leah Soldini. <laughs> That is that is her official name, yeah. but uh, so anyway, so but she wasn't there. But but I hung out with him and the, and the two oldest kids, and and I said I need a book to drive. It's like a twelve hour drive from St. Louis to Denver. I was going to do it all in one in one run the next day, and I just said, hey, I, I need a book on tape to read. And he's like, 
it is required reading for special forces. He's a Green Beret. It's required reading for special forces to read this book, Gates of Fire by Stephen Pressfield. And so I was like, sounds good to me. Like I like special forces. That's very elite and manly. So anyway, I got this book on, on audiobook and it's it's I, I listened to it the whole way back and then I, I and then I bought it on Kindle and I finished it on Kindle. But um it, it is now one of my top five books. And wow. I just well, a quick a quick um disclaimer, like there's a lot of cussing and there's some graphic sexual language. There's not like any graphic sex, but there's graphic sexual language used by sure. um, by these soldiers. Anyway, so um, the, the, pretty much the story of this book is um, that the the Persians once they've I don't think I'm giving anything away here. We all know how that ended. The Persians once they've once they've slaughtered these 300 brave Spartans. The Spartans slaughtered many more than 300 of, of the Persians. But once they did this, they they found one one apprentice alive. And the Persians captured him. They brought him and brought him to Xerxes, the the emperor of the Persians. Brought him to Xerxes, and, and um, this this um, Zeno was his name. This apprentice. He, what was his name? It's Zen. I, I didn't look. Is it Zena or Zeno? No, it's definitely not Zena. I'm just making sure. <laughs> it is a dude, and they call him Zeo. Is, okay. is is the shore? I, I was Zenoist. Anyway, one of those Greek names. Sweet. And, uh, and they bring him to Xerxes. My computer just turned off, so sorry, I'm trying to do th- There we go. Okay, they bring him to Xerxes, and he feels compelled by Apollo, by, by his god. He feels compelled by Apollo and by Xerxes both. So in other words, one of his friends and his enemy to tell the story of the Spartans, how they're trained, how they chose 300 of them, why they were so brave. So Xerxes, the, the king of the Persians, is in awe of what these 300 Spartans did, and huh. he wants to know why. Why were they so tough? Why did they kill so many of my men and how were they able to do this and at the same time this guy probably would have put up a fight and said i'm not going to tell you that except that he believes apollo the his god told him to do this as well of course this is is pre-christian days when this happened so um the 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 whole story is this apprentice who's been injured badly injured in the presence of the king in the presence of xerxes this persian king who is the enemy and telling him everything he knows so this this narrator was not spartan he his parents were murdered when he was a kid and he knew about the spartans and he wanted nothing more than to be a spartan well back in the culture um, back in that time, you couldn't just switch cities. You know, you couldn't switch culture. So he went to Sparta and ended up moving it, moving up in the ranks as a non-Spartan enough to be able to go to this battle. And he ended up being the apprentice of one of the three hundred. Um, so, um, anyway, the 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 thing that impressed me most about this book was that the the philosophical analysis of courage hmm. and fearlessness. And um, I really want to try to convince our moderator. I really want to. I'd like us all to read this over Lent, like we did the years I think it would bring up great discussions. Um, so, anyway, I'm, I'm gonna. If, if there's any pause, I apologize. I'm trying to. I'm trying to jump between my outline and the book itself. Um, that I have a Kindle on my computer as I do this. Um, so the the Greek word that they use for courage or fearlessness is Andreia, which is, I don't know exactly how to translate that, but it, it, huh. it's the courage that they're looking for. Manliness. It, it, exactly. Yeah, right. For Andros, right. So it, it's, it's manliness. So, it's my middle name, Andrew. <laughs> manliness. Oh, there you go. There you go. Amen. I exude manliness. <laughs> I, I, I agree. He doesn't believe me. I agree. Moving on. <laughs> Andrea. So uh so anyway so the um there's this philosophical discussion. So in in Sparta, they train these young men to be warriors from the time they're very young. The Spartans are, are the best trained soldiers in all of Greece at the time and in, probably in the whole world. Um, so there's – but they really, re- rarely have a philosophical discussion about what makes us so elite, what makes us so strong. Um, so there's, there's, there's a couple of the more philosophically minded – Spartans and their apprentices who are who are sitting around a campfire and they are discussing what does it mean to be manly, what does it mean to be fearless, and so um, Dionysus is is the one who's kind of the mentor, and he's talking to these young men and they're asking what does this mean. So the first thing he's talking about because these young men have just two of them have have the the author and um, Alexandros who's his his best friend have snuck off. They were 
weren't supposed to do, but they snuck off to go watch one of the battles between the Spartans and one of their allies, but who wouldn't battle them. Anyway, I'll let you read the book. If I highly recommend it. Um, but but there's a once they watch this, they're horrified by war. Like they just weren't ready for it. They weren't ready for the the horror of war and the horror of battle. Um, so when they come back, they're sitting around this campfire. They're discussing what does it mean to be courageous. What did you see on the battlefield, and why did the Spartans win? What did they have that the other side did not? And and the first thing that that Dionikes explains, he says, this is what courage or manliness is not. And th- th- he gives a couple examples. I'm, I'm only going to pick and choose from these. Um, this is a, a cafeteria choosing that that Father Michael Lachlan is going to do. So um, he says it it is not beast like fury or panic spawns self-preservation. He says, these are called catalepsis, or what he says, possession. He says, a rat owns as much of them as a man. So you think in battle like this kind of primal, you know, subhuman rage would be helpful in battle. And he says that is exactly the opposite of what is helpful to the Spartans. Many armies have that. I mean, you even think of like movies like Braveheart, right? Where you you paint yourself blue and you, you look you look like you're crazy and you scare the enemy with this. The Spartans were the opposite. They call that possession. Like something else has possessed you. It's it's not human. It's subhuman. They say that the discipline of the Spartans um, that they have so that they never lose possession of themselves is what it is. So here's how he describes it. He says, Achilles Homer tells us possessed true Andrea, but did he? Scion of an immortal mother, dipped as a babe in the waters of the Styx, knowing himself to be, save his heel, invulnerable. Cowards would be rarer than feathers on a fish if we all knew that. In other words, if we knew that we were invulnerable except for our heel, he said there would be no cowards. Alexandros, one of the young men, inquired if any of the city, in Dionyke's opinion, possessed true Andrea. In other words, does anybody in the city of Sparta possess true Manliness, courage, and fearlessness. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's a good time I, for a break. I just I just happened to watch a YouTube video the other <laughs> the other day. Okay. There's this guy that does this like uh, voiceover for. Uh, have you ever seen uh, Scared Straight? No. Oh yeah. The Where they prison. like yell yeah. at the kids, yeah. you know, like and like try to convince them, whatever. And he's like, he's like, he's like, this guy's the savage. <laughs> there's like certain points where like like the the people on scared straight will like scare this kid and be like peel this orange peel it now and he's like okay and he's like crying or whatever he's like he peels his orange like a savage <laughs> i have absolutely and i was actually thinking to myself as i was watching this i was like i was like i gotta somehow work this into the podcast someday and then it was like perfect he's a savage so, so you don't want to be possessed like a savage. So peel your oranges like a man. Exactly. Instead of a savage. All right. Well, we'll try to tie that in. All right. <laughs> so Dionykes says, he's talking to these young men, and he's saying Achilles didn't even have true Andrea. And then he lists Polynikes and some other of these kind of the ideal warriors that everybody looks up to. He says, they didn't have true manliness. He says, do you know who owns it? This pure form of courage more than any other I have known. And it says, none around the fire answered, and he answers, my wife. Hmm. And he then goes on, and it's this kind of startling moment. At this point in the book, I was actually listening to it, and the the narrator did a great job of just kind of this pause, and you you have all these ideas in your mind of what true manliness is, what true courage is, and and it's it's this, this idea, and he says, my wife is. And so, the turning real quick to... The I'm going to get to how he explains what that is is, is brilliant. Um, so then he says, uh, "Pardon the awkward pause here." This guy's a savage. So he's talking about what what um, this possession is, and he and he he talks about. I'm just going to sum it up here, and I'm not going to read it. He talks about this possession is is when you are no longer yourself. So th- there's this there's this brilliant time in the book when he talks about um, the compartmentalization in the brain. And he says that there is a, 
in other words, I, I, I use this, I think this fits very well for the spiritual life as well, but the compartmentalization is, is if you are going into war, if you're going into battle, he says there, there's this compartment in your brain that is for battle. And he says you live in that compartment the entire time you're at battle. He says there's another compartment for family. And he says, this is not only your family, this is the enemy's family. He says, if you open the door to that, and if in the midst of battle, you start recalling your wife, and you start recalling your children to mind, he says that that will hinder the Hmm. virtue needed in battle. And he says, the same thing happens if you start considering the man across from you also has a wife and children. Again, bringing Christianity into this, we need to soften this, of course. There, There needs to be a virtue of an understanding of of the importance of wife, children, family, and acknowledging that in the other, the ability to be truly merciful and truly just. Um, but in the context of this, this ability for Spartans to be the greatest warriors in the world, um, they're talking about this this compartmentalization. I think I think it actually works very well for us if there's a if there's a like say you're a married man or you're a celibate, like th- there, there's you there's a door to cheating on your wife like there, there's there's the possibility yeah. of cheating on my wife there's a possibility of cheating on my celibacy that 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 that's a room and if i if i open that door i might open it out of curiosity one day and i might let my mind when i'm falling asleep at night or when i'm when my body or spirit is weak i might just open that door a little crack and just say i'm not gonna do it but you know out of curiosity let me kind of think about what that would be like and that door even that that little crack of course then becomes bigger and bigger and bigger until all of a sudden we're, we're doing it and we're caught off guard we're like what the heck happened you know it, it went from the temptation to participating really quickly that's the same thing that's happening here they said when when you're in battle that door needs to be closed tight you know and even though that's not the greatest example of what it is for christians there there certainly is this am i as a man am i as a human being able to say my my reason and my faith tells me that certain options are closed to me because they're going to do me and others harm. So why would I even crack that door open? Like the, the compartmentalization is a, is a really good thing in, in that case. All right. So then we have um, got to shut it down. That's actually. Yeah. I mean, it's great advice. Um, you know, you actually have given that to me before. Um, where it's just like even the very thought of that, it's like a virus in a computer. Yep. Like you're gonna start, you're gonna say, "Oh no, it's just something small." Like I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna like pretend that like what if you know, like what would it be like you know? And then all of a sudden you're in you're in fantasy land, and then reality is like so much harder. And then it's like it shouldn't be like this. It's right. so much better whenever I'm not enjoying or not. Um, not engaged in these commitments. Yeah. I'm happier. Yeah. And then you're not. Right. Exactly. And and there's this uh, for some reason curiosity seems like a virtue. I mean, I did that one time when I was when I was walking out of jelly and I won't name any names, but one one I said as just for some reason as I'm walking out of jelly I was saying goodbye to my friends who worked there and I said I said be good. And one of the girls was like like you have no idea what it is to be bad. Why 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 don't you try being bad once? You might like it better than being good. And and it was just like it was just this you know secular world relativism individualism like just their their frustration and I said and uh, you know thank God the first thing I thought was you know what why would I why would I want to do anything if I'm this happy like honestly honestly with my personality I'm really happy I am and like why would I want to even take the chance of sullying that by doing something that my faith and my reason tell me is wrong. Like it can only get worse. Yeah. You know, and, and so it, it was, it was kind of this, this don't even open that door. Why, why would you, you know, it's, it's like with, with, you know, when, when you're young or even when you're old, I guess with temptations or drugs and alcohol, people are like, now that, now that marijuana is legal, you know, and you can probably do it in moderation. I don't know. And somebody might say, well, just, why well, do you want to try it? I'm like, but to me, like getting high is an escape. Why, why would I want to escape? Like I, I have healthy escapes that I like. Why would I try one that could lead, that could be a gateway drug maybe to me, to my personality, to my mindset, whatever. It could be those things. Anyway. It's not even, that's not even a partial escape. That's a total escape. Right, right, exactly. And, and, it, and it's, one, it's one that would incapacitate anybody from living out the Christian duty if they were called upon. I mean, it, yeah. if, if, I, if I smoked a joint and they got a sick call, it's like, that would be Forget horrible. It. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, um, so the next thing then, there, there's a pause 
and and then there's a kind of what what, the, what this is is this this courage that Dionyke says his wife possesses that's not explained until the very end of the book like what did he mean by that and and the next part i think i think is brilliant so he um now leonidas who is the king he has just chosen the 300. These are the 300. And th- th- there's so many more Spartans than 300. But they want to leave all the rest to fight the eventual battle in Sparta. So they know the Persians are going to make it to Sparta. But they think if they send these 300 of the bravest, what they call the bravest, they send the 300 bravest to the pass at Thermopylae, they will be able to kill so many Persians that if they didn't do this, the Persians would obviously, in their uh. vast numbers, would overwhelm Greece. But if they can, these 300, can take out as many of them as possible at Thermopylae, and then they will be so weakened by that experience that they will not be able to take the rest of Greece. And then the Spartans in Sparta then will be able to fight them off. Did so, that happen? Yeah. That happened? Yeah. This, this This is really, I mean, this is historical No, fiction, I know, but, but like, uh, I, don't, I don't know the end of the, I knew about the 300. Yep. But I didn't know about the second part where they the Persians did not take Greece. They couldn't take it. They didn't, and and they, they the rest of the Spartans fought, but they didn't take it. Yep, and it, it was really it was an amazing success story. So anyway, um, so nice. The way this happens is 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 now we have two that there. So Leonidas's wife, who's the king, and another one of the three hundred who were chosen by Leonidas. Um, he's talking to one of the other three hundred's wife, and so she is. So here's the queen talking to the wife of one of the other men that Leonidas chose. Now, this wife is not only the wife of one of the 300, she is also the mother of one of the 300. So she's literally, and this is a suicide mission, they all know it. So 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 what she says is, you're losing a husband and a son, you know? And so what she says to her, so the queen says to this woman, he is keenly aware, meaning Leonidas, who chose the 300. He is keenly aware that in selecting for the 300, both Olympias and Alexandros, Olympias was her husband, Alexandros her son, both Olympias and Alexandros, he has robbed you twice of a son as well as a husband, leaving only the babe Olympias to carry on your line. So he did not choose anybody to go who did not have a son. And this is, this is a brilliant, another, I'm not yeah. going to tell you about it, but there's another part of the book where there's a man that does not have a son. And yet there's this brilliant, wonderful surprise that happens where he's all of a sudden, in a sense, out of his own sacrifice, gifted a son, and then all of a sudden he can be chosen. And it's this, and but he does it as a sacrifice. It's not natural. But anyway, it's it's beautiful. So um, so this is what she says. I think this applies to, to, to celibacy as well. John and Mike just did the, Father John and Father Mike did this celibacy podcast recently. So this, this queen is talking about her leadership. Uh-huh. And she says, a queen may not be a woman as others. She may not possess her husband or children as other wives and mothers, but may hold them only in stewardship to her nation. She serves them, the hearts of her countrymen, not her own or her families. Now you, Paralea, the mother, the mother and, and uh, mother and uh, wife of these two men going, are summoned to this stern sisterhood. You must take your place at my shoulder in sorrow. This is a woman's trial and triumph ordained by God to abide with pain, to endure grief, to bear up beneath sorrow's yoke, and thus to endow others with courage. So part of this is that we know that as celibates, we no longer live for ourselves, but rather for those we serve. When you get married, this is the same thing. You know, you, you get the crown of martyrdom. You, know, you no longer live for yourself. You live for those who you serve. And so what she's saying here is that as many of these wives and mothers can, can mourn the loss of their husband and child in this, she says, we cannot because we are called upon to, to these are not our husbands and children. We are stewards of them. We are mm. taking care of them for a greater cause. Now, of course, this is pre-Christianity. So this is the greater cause is, is kind of ridiculous. The greater cause is the state or or the most people, the common good, which is nothing compared to the glory of God or the kingdom of God, et cetera. Better than what we got today. It is. Well, yeah, the, better than what most would possess, what most would say it is, but that's our role as Christians to, to keep that in check. Um, so at this point, Leonidas shows up. He's the one that that sent this woman's husband and son to a suicide mission. So he shows up and he walks up to her and says, do you hate me, my lady? These were initial words, the narrator says. Were, were I you, I would. My hands would now be trembling with fury, hearts oppressed. He cleared a space on the bench and he said, come daughter and sit here beside me. And then he says, the city speculates and guesses. 
as to why I elected those I did to be the 300. Was it for their prowess as individual men-at-arms? How could this be? When among champions such as Polonikes, Dionikes, Alpheus, and Marin, I nominated as well unblooded youths such as Aristoton and your own Alexandros. Perhaps the city supposes I divined some subtle alchemy of this unique aggregation. Maybe I was bribed or paying back favors. I will never tell the city why I appointed these 300. I will never tell the 300 themselves why I appointed them, but I will now tell you. He says, I chose them not for their own valley, O lady, but for that of their women. Greece stands now upon her most perilous hour. If she saves herself, it will not be at the gates, for death alone awaits us and our allies there, but later in battles yet to come, by land and by sea. Then Greece, if the gods will, will preserve herself. Do you understand this, lady? Well, now listen. When the battle is over, when the three hundred have gone down to death, then will all Greece look to the Spartans to see how they bear it. But who, lady, will the Spartans look to? To you, and to the other wives and mothers, to the other sisters and the daughters of the fallen. If they behold your hearts riven and broken with grief, they too will break, and Greece will break with them. But if you bear up, dry-eyed, not alone enduring your loss, but seizing it with contempt for its agony, embracing it as the honor that is in truth, then Sparta will stand, and all Greece will stand behind her. So it's this it's this foresight he has into woman's courage. And there's these other beautiful parts of the book that say men's courage allows them to fight selflessly in the battle for their country and for their wives and daughters and sons back home. That's what men's courage is. But he says, but that's natural to men. It's more natural to men to empty themselves, to give themselves for those whom they love. It is not natural, not natural, but supernatural. We Christians believe for women to allow the men in their life to do that. Mm. I think this is the brilliance of Ephesians 5, when it says, women be subordinate or you know, to your husbands. Mm-hmm. In other words, support their mission to die for you. Allow them to die for you it is really what this is. Your, your, your husband wants to be Christ-like for you. He wants to die for you. It, it's as hard to let him do that as it is to do that. And it's probably more natural for a man to give his life for someone than it is for the wife in this case, in Ephesians 5, for the wife to stand by and watch him do that. And allow him to do that for her and for the family. So this is this is what he's saying. In other words, when I chose these 300, it was not because they were the strongest, the biggest, and the bravest. It was because their wives were the strongest and the bravest. Mm. They, they could be able to handle this sacrifice. And when they die and the rest of Hellas, the rest of Greece is looking to these Spartan women they're the ones that are going to survive. They're the ones that are going to remain after all of their men have been killed. And they're going to be the ones that bravely and courageously are able to rebuild Greece into what it needs to be. And so this was, in a sense, the, the brilliance, uh, brilliance of, of in the discussion of what makes Spartans better. It's not even their courage. That's very important. You, you hear that through the book. The, the courage and the training, the discipline these Spartan warriors have is what allow the, allows them to win. But when they're presented with a foe like the Persians, who are obviously going to decimate them, they just have sheer numbers, then who are the brave ones? Is, is it the men who go to die for their country? Absolutely. They're brave, they're courageous, but the more courageous are the ones who who possess the unnatural or supernatural ability to sacrifice a child. This is the mother of God. This is Mary at the cross who has supernatural courage to to allow her son to have said yes please to the angel Gabriel and to allow her son to die. Like she is the the face of true courage. In the midst of that, I really do think it'd be easier for me to go to my death than it would have for me for my mom to say go ahead and go to your death. You know, True. it would be easier. And so, you know. Yeah, not only, I like what you said about the Ephesians, because it's not just that men want to do this. It's that actually they need to do this. Like the men need to be able to give their lives. And it is easy for them, but they won't be able to do it if you're not standing behind them. Right. And it actually requires a gift on your part, wives to be subordinate to your husband's, where you actually support them in laying down their life yeah. for you. Yeah. Not just physically, you know, but, you know, even like in the whole gamut of of things. Not not just t- let them take the lead, but actually allow them to give of themselves. Yeah. And when Ephesians 5 says, 
Husbands love your wives. Wives respect your husbands. I think that's what the essence of respect is. The essence of respect is is that it would be easier for me to give my life for you too. <laughs> you know, any woman would probably say that. I'd rather give my life for you than allow you to give your life for me. I think any human being would say that. But yeah. that's part of the feminine genius is to say it would be easier for me to just to die for the family. It would. I mean, in one sense, but to allow you to die for whatever reason Christ has called you to do that and then for me to remain to pick up the pieces to be around to suffer the daily grind of what it means to not have a husband I mean that is the true heroism that is the true courage and I I think that's in a sense the beauty of of the, the masculine genius is the ability to be able to say Christ provided me with an example and he provides me with the power to be to undergo kenosis, self-emptying, to truly have that experience. And he's also given me the ability to inspire my wife to to be part of the same mission, to support me in the self-gift and therefore to have the greater sacrifice of being the one who remains in a sense, the one who who is left picking up the pieces and who has to have this strong face before all of the struggles that happen. You know, in the Byzantine church with the married priesthood, we see this all the time. Like if you, if you have a, a man who who's a family man, five or six kids, and all of a sudden he discerns becoming a priest, guess who's taking care of yeah, the kids alone in the pew? Yeah. It's their wife. They're up on the altar, you know. They're they're doing God's work up there. But their poor wife in the pew is trying to take care of all the kids by herself. She's not in a prayerful atmosphere or mood because she's there taking care of the kids. And he's not there to help her. He's up on the altar having the ideal situation of of being able to be him and God there, you know, present. So, yeah. Um, I want to I want to mention one thing real quick too before we finish. And by the way, I'm I'm going to skip two parts. I was going to talk about um, catalepsis or possession. I'm not going to do that. And also um, fear shedding. So if you read the book, think about fear shedding and like the way that the. I'll just do a quick summary of fear it. Fear shedding. Fear shedding. So what the Spartans talk about, they were so disciplined in because of their training. They've been trained since they were tiny, tiny, tiny. That there's this. They they go disciplined into battle, and what they do because there's so many of them ordinarily is they take a stick and they write their name on both ends of this stick, and then they then they break it in half in an uneven way, so that if you put it back together, you could tell that the stick went with its opposite side, right. so you could fit them together like a puzzle. And what happens is is they all put their name. They carry one of these one piece of the stick. They tie it around their wrist. They put the other one in in a in a big basket that that goes into the very back of the battle. So when the battle is over, they all go and take their name out so they can see who is either dead or injured. Wow. And and going back to the compartmentalization, when when they're fighting, they they don't even think about their family or it would make them weaker. So what happens is is as soon as they get these sticks, um, there's this what they call fear shedding. There's this moment that the veteran warriors know where their entire body goes into shakes. And what happened was is when the battle's over and they get their stick out and they see how many sticks are left and notice how many of their 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 brothers died, right. how many of the brothers are injured, they 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 then open that door to family in their minds. And and the 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 king lets them. He says, now open that door. And I was now realize why you did this. Now find love. Now let your mind go in a nostalgic way back to your family. Think of the enemy's family. Think of your family. Think of, of the finer things in life. Think of the why, what we Christians would say, think of, of your priorities and why you're in battle, why you're working an eight-hour workday, why you're working a job you don't like. Think of all those things. And as soon as that would happen, the men who were so disciplined for an entire 12-hour day of fighting, all of a sudden, the, the, they, when they, what the term fear shedding is literally the shakes they go into once that that compartment of the family is opened back up and real life comes back to them and they can no longer control their limbs. Their limbs were so disciplined for so long that they now rest in a sense and they they realize the reality we lost so many brothers and yet I'm still alive. And the 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 experience of that is called fear shedding and it's literally just uncontrollable bodily shaking. And I'm sure, you know, I'm sure that really happens in war. You know, I'm sure there is soldiers who really if they're able to be disciplined for a long period of time oh, yeah. are, are all of a sudden have to let reality <laughs> sink in and they become weak they become vulnerable you know i think if this is this is not done well or properly that's what ptsd is it, it's kind of the ability the inability to process and to recover from what was hell what was horrendous you know for i don't i've never experienced that so i'm not i'm not talking about experience yeah. but I, I imagine that's what it is and this book is very very eloquent about that well there's a fantastic scene from um Band of Brothers, 
where the main character, who's like this uh, this hero, Captain, just gives me an excuse to binge watch it again. Um, <laughs> nice. Anyways, uh, this captain, he is the most virtuous, like the greatest man, mm. and he leads this charge over the hill, knowing that like if we don't take this hill, like they're gonna come down and they're gonna they're mm. gonna capture us. Right. And so he leads the charge um, as kind of a surprise attack. And he comes up over the hill and he sees a man who doesn't know that these people are about ready to attack them, Hmm. the German. And there's this brief moment where he realizes this is just a kid. Hmm. It's just a small kid. He probably has a family. He probably has done all of these things. And he has to shut it down and, and like take the hill and he like you know mows down you know all of these people and they ended up winning but then later on he experiences exactly that yeah. where he's having these moments of remembering um after the battle is won um i could have i could have died and like i i did take the life of this other person yeah and they were just a, they were just a small child and whatever else so yeah I think it's that you're letting real life slip back in because, I mean, war is hell. I mean, it's it's just not proper yeah. to our humanity. It should not happen. And so when we're able to be human again after hafting for whatever reason to defend our livelihood or defend others, for, you know, I'm not going to make a moral statement on that. But, you know, if, if you're caught in that, there's letting the reality of life and love sink back in. It's just your body's not ready for that transition and your body doesn't know how to react to that transition. I'll tell the story sometime about when I was uh, somebody broke into a house. I was I was sleeping on the couch in and just kicked their front door in, and it was oh, three yeah. in the morning. And I woke up to a start, and my my brain was like very was functioning very well. My body would not function. Like my body literally would not move. It was so scared. Even though my brain was being heroic, my body was not moved. It just wouldn't move. And I was it was the weirdest experience of body and mind not working together. And mm. I think this is kind of the experience described here by by the author Stephen Pressfield. But anyway, I want to bring this back in. Into reality, um, on retreat, uh, our retreat master was um, was a biz- Ukrainian Catholic redemptorist up in Canada, and he told us the story about this um, this uh, saint or this blessed Vasil Velichovsky. Um, you can look him up if you if you want to look it up. the uh, The website is bvmartyrshrine.com. Bv for blessed Vasil Martyrshrine.com. Anyway, th- this man was was a priest, ordained a priest in the underground church in Ukraine under Soviet under the USSR, and so he was ordained a priest underground. And so when they had to do all these things, since Catholicism was illegal, they had to do all these things. So what happened was a quick background. That there were at the time some of the Orthodox, only some of them, of course, but some of the Orthodox were under the thumb of the Soviet communists. Mm-hmm. So the church, like it is in China today, like the Catholic Church, a lot of the church is under the thumb of the communists. So that's how it was in the Soviet times. So what happened was, is if you wanted to be Byzantine Catholic, the 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 Soviets knew they could control certain aspects of this one Orthodox Church, and so they said, you can no longer be Catholic. You have to be this version of Orthodoxy, you know, to use the term lightly, that we have control over. So Catholicism became illegal, and, and most of Orthodoxy became illegal, except this one kind. So the kind that they thought they had control over, at least. So this man was ordained underground for the Byzantine Catholic Church, for the Ukrainian Catholic Church. So what happened was is you you would go to a funeral and to in case there were spies you would when you went to a funeral the priest would just show up in civvies mm-hmm. and so all the people would look like they're just mourning like as a human thing to do but he would really be doing the the prayers of the funeral rites just whispering them and the people gathered around would know this same thing for weddings same things for the eucharist all this done was in complete secret well this this priest Vasil Velichovsky he was a little braver than the other ones and he would wear an epithelion he'd wear like the stole to kind of show people to give them bravery and just to say like look I'm not afraid of these these people yeah. you know well people because of this, he got thrown in prison a few times, and and the prison for them would have been they sent him for, for at least two eight eight month stints up in Siberia, where it was freezing cold. You know, eight months of hard labor. So, so it, this is an important part of it. So he his the frostbite was so bad, and what they would do is they present you with a with a contract. They say, hey, look, just sign this sheet of paper, 
and say that you're going to become this one version of orthodoxy. Sign a sheet of paper and you can continue to minister. Like you can, you can do God's work. You're not going to go to prison. You can continue to do funerals and liturgies and all these things that are valid, but they're mm. just under our thumb. We yeah. control them. And he always refused. So when they did this, so he went up, spent eight months. He came back down, got caught again acting as a Catholic priest and was sent again to Siberia. And they would give him this document to sign all the time and say, hey, look, just sign this and it'll be fine. Again, most Byzantine Catholic priests have families. So you can imagine somebody saying, for the sake of my family, I'm just going to sign it, you know. Well, he didn't. So what happened was is then he was he was invited to the, the underground bishop's residence for dinner one day. He showed up and the bishop said, by the way, I'm, I'm ordaining you a bishop because Father Vasil was celibate. Wow. I'm ordaining you a bishop. So when he did this, a bunch of his formerly Catholic priest friends who had signed the paper were pretty much cowards, right? They had signed. He didn't. And the, the literally the biggest toll on his body was his – because of the frostbite was his toes. All 10 toes died. I mean as he was still alive, all 10 toes were just dead. And so when he came back, he was ordained a bishop and all these – these formerly Catholic priests came back and said, we want to be Catholic again. And they understood what that might mean. He, he literally almost died multiple times in Siberia because of the suffering. So what, what he did then was when they came back, because of his faith, he accepted them back without question. He did not ask for a period of, of um, you know, penance. He didn't ask for anything like that. He just welcomed them back with open arms. He even let some of them go back to their parishes, to the, these, you know, these parishes where the communists and the Soviets were letting them serve. He even let some of them go back there and continue to serve. He just, in his suffering, he allowed the sacrifice that came from that suffering to overflow and to allow it to become mercy. So his suffering, his sacrifice became mercy for those who he was witnessing to. So anyway, he got so sick after these stints in Siberia that that they made him go to Canada, of course, where there wasn't any war happening. And he spent his final days in Canada. Well, when he died, uh, St. John Paul II made him a blessed because of his witness and because oh. of what he did. So he was made a blessed. So what they did when he was made a blessed was they, they, they pulled him out of the ground of course, and what happened when they pulled him out of the ground, most of his bishop vestments had, of course, disintegrated after <clears throat> years, but his body was completely incorrupt. Wow. So they pulled him out, and of course, the one negative thing about an incorrupt body is you don't have any relics. So so they, they took a big cloth, and they touched his body to it and said, well, we're at least going to have third-class relics. So they pulled off the old rotted bishop vestments that they buried him in. They put him in new bishop vestments to display him as incorrupt, but when they did that, they discovered that his toes— had corrupted because his toes were already dead because of the time in Siberia. Huh. So literally, they had these 10 relics of his 10 toes, oh, his go. 10 toe bones. So they took this and they they, 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 they just dipped it in some oil to, to kind of bless the oil, you know, all these kind of crazy Catholic things that we do. Um, sure enough. For, with relics, etc. So they did that. So um, this priest then gave us oil and he gave us a little third class relics from this blessed Vasil Velichovsky. Anyway, I, I thought he was a great example of not only true courage, like the ability to say, like, he already went up there for eight months. He, his toes already died, and then they arrested him again. And instead of shine, signing the sheet of paper, he went back again to the exact same punishment. Yeah. Like, like that, that, is, that is superhuman courage. You know, that is superhuman self-sacrifice. And then to be able to allow his sacrifice to benefit cowards. Like, he literally, because he was courageous, he had the ability to say, you don't need to be courageous. Like, I was courageous for us as yeah. a community i suffered for us you look at zacchaeus today salvation has come to this home his whole family was saved in the scriptures because of his self-sacrifice because of his charity you know so there's this there's a communal aspect here that that the women in gates of fire allowed their allowed their husbands to sacrifice for them and they both needed each other they needed good community this is not an individualistic heroism this is not an individualistic sanctity like our 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 ability to sacrifice to love one another affects the rest of the christian community and that's what this blessed vasil did so well so he because of his 
Again, he received God's grace well. He responded with faith. He responded with courage. Therefore, those who could not handle the courage, those who were cowards, were able to tap into his holiness. And then he was able to offer them Christ's mercy, that were yeah. Christ, and then they were able to grow as a church because of his heroism. And now even we would not have relics if he hadn't gone back to Siberia. So even the small kind of ridiculous sounding things like that, we benefit from the fact that he suffered so much as a church. Yeah. So bless of us, Silvelichowski, pray for us. And, Amen. And, and if, if any of you want to tap into that, go to that website, you can get some relics, et cetera, you can get all that stuff. And then maybe we're still looking for, of course, for more miracles before you can make it a saint. And you never know who's going to be that, be that final sure. miracle that allows that to happen. Yeah, the merits of the saints, that's true. I mean, yeah. like, uh, what they do is beyond what we are able to do, which means that they win more grace yeah. for us because they don't need it. They actually, exactly. their virtues are 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 sank like ver- sank their their holy virtues. Like it's not just like this isn't just oh yeah that was kind of courageous. It was uh-huh. like no no that's courageous. Yeah, and we should tap into that. And we so. can be inspired by it, but we can also re- reap the rewards of their ask. Yeah. So so you know we can we can reap the rewards of of the saint sanctity, but also if we receive the gifts of God to be holy and courageous, we can then allow the gifts the the, the benefit of that to overflow to those in our lives who are cowards, those in our lives who are weak. When we're the weak ones, we tap into the strong. When we're the strong ones, we're able to offer that to the weak. And there there's something beautiful about that in in the community that Christianity is. We're all members of the one body of Christ. So when one part of the body does well, it affects the entire body positively. When one part of the body suffers or or, or commits sin, it affects the entire body. This is a beautiful aspect of our Christianity that I don't think we we appreciate enough. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Shoutouts. I'm done, man. I don't have any. I I have four real quick ones. Um, First of all, I don't know if I've given a shout out yet, but Emily Brand, who uh, went on my pilgrimage, Lee Adair's pilgrimage I did, um, she was on the pilgrimage with us, and and, uh, we had a good time. We were both um, big fans of Italian wine, so we bonded over (laughs) our ability to have Italian wine every night. And uh, anyway, I know she listens to the podcast now. Um, Also, Kelly Pedraza, who who is is my friend here in town. I I married her to her husband, Doug. They've since abandoned Denver for North Carolina. But anyway, um, she posted one of the most hilarious Facebook posts I've ever seen in my entire life. And I just, I stole it and I got... I put it on my page and I got so much attention and affirmation from it <laughs> that she responded, you better give me a shout out for that. And it What's was, her maiden name? Um, Carpenter? Yes. Yeah, Carpenter. I met her sister, Annie Carpenter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Annie, Mary, yeah, I, I met all those at the, all of the wedding. That was one of the best weddings. It rained for four days in a row, but it was just, it was so beautiful. The, we, we stayed in a mansion, etc. So anyway, it was it was a good time. So anyway, the, the Facebook post was, it was during the third third presidential debate and it was just pretty much using the facebook language to say i just put michael paula lachlan my, my facebook name michael paula lachlan um marked himself safe during the third presidential debate like you would for uh, you're not on facebook so you don't understand it but there's this thing like if there's a tragedy in the world you can mark yourself safe so that your family knows <laughs> so she did that and i copied it and oh my gosh like maybe she got maybe 20 likes i got like 200 and i was yeah, like oh my great. gosh i just totally copied that she's the brilliant one so kelly you're awesome you're brilliant thank you that was hilarious. sure i'm um, also uh two 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 girls from uh, jelly who uh, we talked about. They want to start listening to the podcast. So if you listen to this one, uh, both Mary and Tiffany from Jelly, thank you guys. Mary was the one who gave me the idea to do the Shepherd's Podcast when I did oh, yeah. in the morning. Uh-huh. And Tiffany just gave me a magic bullet today that she never uses. So they're trying to make me healthy. Magic so bullet. I'm trying to get into a smoothies. Good luck. Sour Patch Kids. Talk to Father John. He would blend like protein powder and blueberries. That's what I wanted. I, I wanted to blend healthy stuff. Like kale. That's a thing, right? Kale. <laughs> You, you take kale and you blend it. Yeah, I guess. People tell me about this stuff. <laughs> so I'm trying to get healthy, and Tiffany's helped me do that. So shout out to you guys. Thank you. That's it. Yeah, it's so dark. It, like, I know. It got dark during this podcast. It, it got I can't dark. even see you. Yeah, I don't. I, I'm not a fan of um, not a fan of daylight savings time, but uh, it's getting getting to be about that time for the change. So, anywho. Right, it's good to be back. Good, good to be back. Good to be back yeah. with you. Yeah, here we go. Another right. another season, I guess. Yeah. Season two or season that'd be season three of you know Olo and Gobes. Yeah. So cool listen, show, I think. check it out. Comment on iTunes. Yeah, comment on iTunes, Facebook. We love we love interacting with you guys through the social media. And uh, like us on Facebook. Yeah, check it out. Catholics have podcast. 
Later. Podcast at gmail.com. Love you. Be good.